Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're continuing our study of 1 Peter and even coming close to the conclusion of it as we look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 5 this morning. As we have gone through the book of 1 Peter, we have continually been reminded that as Christians, as those who have been born again according to the will of God, that we are in a world that is not our own. That we are now citizens of a different country. And because of that, there is conflict in our lives as Christians. There is resistance to our following Jesus Christ. Now, throughout First Peter, much of this has been, this discussion has been focused on those who are in the world that come against us and even our own fleshly desires that run counter to God's work in our lives. But here in verses 8 and 9, Peter tells us one more aspect of this battle that we fight in this world. And it's that we do have an enemy. We have one who is coming against us, opposing the work of Christ in our lives. So let us turn our attention now to God's Word in 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 6. This is God's holy word for his people. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you now at this time and we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but is against the forces of spiritual darkness in this world. And so we pray, O God, that by the power of your Spirit and by the strength of your Word, which is the sword of the Spirit, and by our faith, we might have a shield over us which can extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy and we might hear Your Word and grow firm in our faith. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. On the night of June 5th, 1944, the French resistance movement against Nazi German occupation heard broadcast over the radio these words, wound my heart with a monotonous languor. It was a code delivered by the BBC that signaled that the resistance was to begin sabotaging the Germans' infrastructure. 
You see, the resistance moved into action as soon as they heard this code over the radio. Young boys and old men that made up the majority of their numbers began sabotaging the Nazis' ability to move and communicate. For on June 6th, the Allied invasion at Normandy would begin. And so the resistance destroyed bridges. They turned signs to point the wrong direction. They punctured the tires of their enemies. They cut telephone lines. They broke up railroad ties. So effective was their work that on the day of the invasion, the railroads were down to 30% of working capacity. A journey that would have taken three days for the German tank division Das Reich took 17 days to respond. And through the efforts of the resistance, the Allies were able to overwhelm the Germans and free France. You see, a resistance rarely has the ability to win a war on its own. A resistance movement does not have the manpower nor the weapons to defeat what is often a greater foe. However, they are a resistance because they are unwilling to submit. They are unwilling to give in or to comply with the more powerful authority. And so they do all that they can to defy, to confront, to sabotage, or otherwise hinder their enemy. In our passage for this morning... The Apostle Peter is calling Christians to be a part of a resistance movement. As we have gone through 1 Peter, we have been continually reminded that we Christians are exiles and foreigners. We are a country, we are in a country rather, that is not our own. An enemy-held territory. For we belong to a city that is to come, even the city of God. And so we live in a way that is not in line with this world. Our habits, our actions do not conform with the ways of the Gentiles. Rather, we live in submission to our Lord, Jesus Christ. Despite the fact that another might claim authority, we know that Christ alone is King and that one day He will invade this broken world to destroy the works of the enemy and to establish His eternal kingdom of life. And therefore, all Christians are called to be part of the resistance. The resistance movement against the current world of spiritual darkness. We are to defy to confront, to disrupt whatever the enemy might seek to do so that on the day of Christ's return, he might find us doing his will. In verse 8 of our text, Peter says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand up to him. Oppose His will. Put your foot down against His desires. Draw a line in the sand. Refuse to give in no matter the cost. And at every turn, thwart His advance. For the work of the enemy is to kill and steal and destroy. But we are called to a kingdom of truth and life. To be a part of the resistance will cost you. It will mean putting yourself at risk. It will mean coming in conflict with the spiritual powers that be. Yet, to the one who endures, to the one who resists, 
to the one who opposes the schemes of the adversary, the roaring lion, to him will be given the peace of the world that is to come. To her will be given the glory of victory. For to every Christian, resistance fighter will be given the grace of victory over sin and over Satan himself. So then, how does God's Word teach us to resist the enemy? The first thing that we need to resist the enemy is to be aware of our enemy. That is, we need to know that we do, in fact, have an enemy in this world. For there are many of us who are unaware that there are spiritual forces at work in our lives and in the broader world that go beyond what we can see with our eye, but rather are rooted in spiritual realities. Again, in verse 8, Peter says that we are to be sober-minded, that we are to be watchful because we have an adversary, the devil that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter explains that there is an adversary who is called the devil, who prowls around like a lion looking to bring people to destruction. Whether you know this or not, the reality is, is that there is a spiritual force at work in this world that opposes the work of Jesus Christ and the advancement of Christ in the life of His people. He is against the people of God becoming holy like their Father in heaven is holy and He longs to disrupt as much as He possibly can the advancement of Christ's kingdom in this world. Now, this adversary is called by several names throughout God's Word that reveals His character. First, He is called the Prince of the Power of the Air. He is the Serpent. The dragon, the tempter. He is Beelzebub, Lucifer, the devil. He is the accuser of the brothers, the wicked one. And he is called the God of this world. Now, from these titles, we learn much about our enemy. First, we learn that he has spiritual power and authority in this world. He is a prince over this present world. World. He is the God, Paul says, of this world. That means that this fallen world is being ruled in some way by a force that is opposed to the work of Christ, who himself is coming as king. There is an authority, there is a dark kingdom that has established itself in this world, and the head of that dark world authority is the devil himself. Second, We see that his desire is to drive people to sin and condemnation and death. You see, his desire is to oppose all that the Lord Jesus came to do. He does not want to see Christ's kingdom established because if Christ's kingdom is established, that means that his kingdom is overthrown. And so he desires for people to give in to sin. As the tempter. And then as the accuser, listen to this, he tempts you to sin, and then once you do sin, he accuses you. He says, you are nothing. 
You are broken. You are not holy like God is holy. There is no way you belong to the brethren. There is no way that you are a Christian. He accuses the brethren night and day, seeking to draw them away from their heavenly Father. And third, we see that he's often described as a beast of some sort, whether a serpent or a dragon or a lion. And all of these are pointing to the fact that he is seeking to bring to destruction those who would follow Christ. He desires to bring death into this world. This is not the type of prince that you want to follow. But this is our enemy. He is working behind the scenes in government. He is working behind the scenes in education, in media, and even in the church. We must be aware of our enemy because he is crafty. The Word of God says that he prowls around. You have seen a lion hunt on National Geographic, haven't you? You've seen how they lay low, how they hide in the shadows, how they lull their victims to drop their defenses. And then they pounce on them. And Peter is calling out to the church, wake up to the reality of the enemy. Be on the alert. There is an enemy. And he is seeking to destroy the work of Christ in your life. He wants to undermine the gospel. He wants to sow seeds of disunity in the church. He wants to make leaders domineering and prideful. And he wants to make followers rebellious and self-reliant. And the first step to resisting this work is knowing that he is at work in the world. That he does have authority in this present darkness. And that he seeks to undo the work. Of Christ. For his most common tactic is surprise attack. And so the way that we resist him is by being aware that his attack is coming. Now we must be cautious at this moment. For in calling out the presence of our enemy, some Christians have assigned to him too much power and influence in their lives. If their car breaks down, It was the work of the enemy and not the fact that they didn't change their oil for two years in a row. Or if they give in to some sort of temptation, they'll say, well, you know, it was Satan. Satan is the one that tempted me. It's his fault. Yet never does the Bible excuse human behavior because of satanic activity. Yes, our enemy does have power. Yes, he has authority in this present darkness, but he has limited power. He is on a chain that can only go as far as the Lord allows. And when the Lord Jesus died upon the cross, he bound Satan so that his power to stop the advance of the gospel throughout the world was destroyed. And this is why the gospel goes forth in power even today. Though the enemy would seek to stop it, the kingdom of God cannot be stopped by Satan. But it will go forth in power and He will draw men and women and children out of darkness into His marvelous light. We cannot give too much power over to Satan in our minds for He is a defeated foe. Yes, our enemy is stronger than us. But He is not stronger than our Lord. Even as Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress, proclaims, The Prince of Darkness Grim, 
we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fail Him. So we must be awake to His presence. But we must not be fearful of His schemes. Rather, as the Word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 5, that we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all our anxieties on Him. We cannot be fearful of the enemy because we cast our anxieties on God because He cares for you. You have a shepherd who cares for you. He will not allow the enemy to come and destroy you. And so cast your anxieties upon Him. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Now there's a great dynamic here. For so often people say, well, God is caring for me. God's in control. He's the shepherd. He'll watch after me. Therefore, I don't need to do anything. But that's the exact opposite of Peter's reasoning. He says, God cares for you. You don't have to be anxious. Therefore, be watchful. Be sober-minded. There is an enemy. Don't respond to him in fear. Trust God and humbly stay on alert to his temptation. Now the context of chapter 5 gives us some good direction in what it means to be sober-minded and watchful in relation to the temptations of our adversary. Now if you remember, over the last two weeks, we have seen that Christians are called to humbly submit themselves to the church elders called shepherds. And these shepherds will keep watch over you. No doubt, Peter had this image of sheep and shepherds in mind when he spoke of our enemy as a lion. And therefore, the way that we remain sober and watchful against the enemy, the way that we resist him, is that we submit to the shepherd of the sheep. First, to the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. For He laid down His life for the sheep. He shed His blood to free His sheep. He did battle with our enemy and He saves His sheep. You see, when we are not in the fold of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are vulnerable. Because of our sin and because of the power of Satan and death in our lives, we are sheep to be slaughtered. But Jesus came. And even as John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lord Jesus humbled Himself. He became a sheep to go to slaughter for us and by His blood to pay the price to purchase us and to bring us into His fold. You see, He is the Good Shepherd. And we resist the enemy by yielding to Him. We fight by submitting to Christ. Yet we must also submit to the under-shepherds that God has put into our lives. For the Lord has given over the church the elders of the church that we might follow them even as they follow Christ. So often the sheep wander from the fold, not realizing that there is an enemy who is coming against them. But as we remain in fellowship under the authority of the elders of the church, we have spiritual protection. 
For the enemy seeks to destroy the sheep by inciting them to rebellion and pride. But they are guarded when they humble themselves before the Lord. Now, if we had to give a simplified explanation of how to remain sober and watchful against the enemy, what's our main tactic? What's the main way that we fight the work of the enemy in our lives? We would be wise to quote from the Proverbs, even as Peter quotes in verse 5. You can see there in your text, he quotes, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then goes right into this discussion of the work of the enemy and how we resist that. And it is the very same proverb that James quotes in his epistle. For he says in James chapter 4, listen to how similar the argument is. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's no mere coincidence that two apostles went to the exact same proverb and quoted it in how we resist the work of the enemy. How do you remain sober? How do you remain watchful? You don't drink the liquor of pride. For pride will open you up to attack. Pride says, I don't need God's shepherds to guard me. I can go my own way. Pride says, I don't need Christ's blood to cleanse me. I am righteous on my own. Pride says, I don't need God's word to guide me. I can find my way in this world. Pride says, I don't need prayer to sustain me. I have my own power. Pride says, it's my money. It's my right. It's my life. But humility submits. Humility yields to God's shepherds. Humility trusts Christ's blood and righteousness. Humility calls out in prayer. Humility obeys God's Word. We resist the work of the enemy. We find strength against this present darkness when we are weak and have the power of Christ come forth through us. This is how we keep on guard. This is how we remain awake to His temptations. We pursue humility and we flee from pride. For as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, the power of God will work through us to resist the enemy. You see, Christian resistance means we are aware of our enemy. Christian resistance means that we are awake to his temptations. And finally, Christian resistance means that we are unwavering in our faith. Look at verse 9. It says, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You see, the way that we resist the work of the enemy is that we remain firm, unwavering in our resistance against him and our faith in Christ. Puritan William Grinnell once commented that many have yielded to go a mile with Satan that never meant to go two. To resist the enemy means that we must never willingly yield one inch of our lives over to his work. 
For once the head of the snake slips through the door, soon the whole body will follow. Now to remain firm in the faith does not mean that we never incur setbacks or that we're only safe when we are perfect in our obedience. If that were the case, none of us would ever be safe from the work of the enemy. We are safe because we are in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we are under the care of the good shepherd of the sheep. But the way that we resist the enemy is by never turning our faith away from Christ towards self. Never turning towards pride. What Peter means is that when we come under temptation, we resist by resting in the work of Christ. We resist the temptations of a stronger enemy, knowing that he has been defeated and one day his power will be completely destroyed. I think through how is it that the French resistance had the courage to stand up to the overwhelmingly more powerful Nazi regime? How did they summon the courage to do this? Because they trusted that the Allies were coming to destroy their enemy. If they had done it on their own, they wouldn't have had the power, they wouldn't have had the resources, and if they would have blown up a bridge to stop the Nazis' advance, it just would have meant that their village or their town or their family would be destroyed. But because the Allies were coming, because a greater force was coming, they could resist the enemy knowing that the enemy would be tied up with a greater foe. And the way that we resist Satan isn't by our own power, it's not by saying we can do something to defeat him, But we resist him knowing that he's too busy fighting our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we who are currently living in enemy territory, we remain firm in our faith because Jesus has defeated sin. He has established his kingdom in our lives and he is coming again. We resist Satan by yielding to Christ. For the enemy will bring doubt, but we resist by not giving one inch of opportunity to his lies. Marie Duran was 15 years old when she was arrested in 1729. She was arrested because she had attended a Huguenot church meeting. Now, the Huguenots were French Protestants after the tradition of John Calvin. And in many ways, they were the Presbyterians of France. They were our brothers in the faith. Yet in 1729, it was illegal in France to worship in a Huguenot assembly. And so Marie was thrown into the Tower of Constance to remain until she would deny her faith. All that was required of her for release of this 15-year-old was to yield, to renounce her faith and to receive the given faith from the government. But she would not. Sixteen years after her initial imprisonment, a special counsel was sent to her cell to persuade her to relent, to say it's not that big of a deal. Just give in. Just yield to the power and the authority of the king of France and you will be released. But she resisted. And from her cell, she developed a ministry to her fellow prisoners. She wrote letters encouraging those in the Huguenot church. 
She fought temptation to despair and to yield, yet she remained firm in her faith. And for 38 years, she was in prison until the authorities finally relented and released her. Inside her cell remains a witness of her faith. One word is carved into the stone wall that was her only companion for 38 years. One word that defined her stand against the enemy. One word by which she called herself resistor. Will you join the Christian resistance against the work of the enemy? Will you unite yourself to such a suffering brotherhood who would not yield unto the work of the enemy, but even to the end of their lives would resist the work of the enemy? Now there is much that we could say about the devil and his schemes. But we need not give too much time over to him. We need not dwell on all of his schemes and all of his prowling. He is not worth that much of our thought. For to resist Him, all we need is to unwaveringly yield ourselves in faith unto Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in a time of prayer. Lord, we call out to You as the author of spiritual life who has given us the good seed of Your Word. Grant that we may receive it into our hearts and so guard it by Your grace against the schemes of the enemy and the cares of life that seek to steal it away. May the faith and hope and love which Your grace has brought to life within us flourish and grow to full maturity so that the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ we may not be found lacking but abounding in all good fruit and works through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.